Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. Welcome to episode 242 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I talk to Sterling Sealiver of Stingbot Games about the action-adventure title, The Forbidden Arts. But before we delve into that, let's see what else is under Kane and Rinch's umbrella. First we have Kane and Rinch itself on Mondays, which this week is doing Final Fantasy XII. I know, they're doing all the Final Fantasy games and they've got up to number 12 now. Clearly they've skipped 11 because you can't really, you know, complete an MMO, can you? But uh, yeah, it's it's a good one. You want to listen to that. Wednesdays we have Sound of Play, of course, celebrating the scores, the musical scores of video games. And then on Fridays, Fridays? Thursdays, I'm confused. Uh, we have Playwright, two people called Ryan, who make, well, workshop, there you go, video games. Based on the ideas sent to them by their listeners. It's most excellent. You should check it out. And on Fridays, it's me, the Sausage Factory, listening to me talk to developers about their games and how they make them. If you want to know more about all those podcasts, get archives, and also read blogs, look at videos, and an active forum is present in this place, you can go to canarince.com. You pop along there, you see all those things. It's most excellent. We also have a Twitch stream at the moment. We're airing every Sunday at 8pm British Summer Time or Greenwich Mean Time, depending on what time of year it is, with me streaming a game for an hour. Last week I did um, Pilot Wing 64. Started well, ended very badly. Check it out for yourself. Um, But yeah, every Sunday we just stream a random game from a random platform, from a random mirror, uh, because we at Kane and Rince don't recognise retro. Because games are games, whether they're released yesterday or 40 years ago. Still a game. Doesn't matter when. Now, if you want to chuck us some coin, you can. Um, if you go to uh, patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse, you'll find our page there. Hurrah! There's only one tier of uh, donation, which is one US dollar a month. That's right. If you offer us one US dollar a month, which is, well, by the time you listen to this, probably worth about £200. Um... Then, uh, it's a bit, a bit steep thinking about it. But anyway, if you can chuck us some coin, you'll actually get extra content. You get a monthly con- monthly uh, exclusive podcast, which is hosted by the founders of Kane and Rince, Jay and Leon. It's very entertaining. Then also you get the Kane and Rince podcast one week early. And on top of that, they also come out an extended edition versions most of the time. Because most of the time they're longer than two hours, but the public version is only limited to two-hour duration uh, for reasons which I won't go into. But, um, yeah, if you want the extended edition, then you have to cough up, I'm afraid. Also, the platform exclusive, the last of which we've done, is about the Amiga, which I actually was on. That was most entertaining. So, enough about that. Let's listen to me from the past talk to Sterling. Hello, me from the past. Do your thing. Sterling. How's it going? 
Good. Who are you and what do you do? My name is Sterling Selover and I am the founder of Stingbot Games and I develop video games. Right, the founder, no less. Yep. Well, well, first of all, thank you for making The Forbidden Arts. Extraordinary experience that it is. Still currently is. Haven't quite finished it yet, but I've plowed quite a lot of hours into it so far. And um, I just, uh, my second question to you, and this is, you can go far back as you like, but how did you start making your, making flashy lighty video games? So I started game development in 2011. And uh, at that point in time, uh, I was working an accounting job and I wanted to do something different. I wasn't happy with my job. And Obviously, I, I love video games and thought, you know, hey, maybe I should try and create a mobile game because at that point in time, uh, iOS was really coming up big and um, I felt like it would be a good opportunity to mess around and see what see what I could do. And uh, for the first year, I, uh, I was reading programming books back and forth on the train to go to work, uh, to and from work every day. And I would dabble in Xcode a little bit, and then eventually I found Unity, and I started developing in that. Um, so it was really, uh, I, I got into it because I wanted to do something that I was more passionate about and thought, hey, you know, maybe I could teach myself, and, and I did. So um, from there, f- fast forward a few years, uh, I released several mobile games, and then I decided I'm going to take the next step and create a game for PC and console. And that's what the Forbidden Arts is. It's my uh, first PC and console game. And uh, I didn't solely develop it, but uh, I designed the game and programmed it entirely by myself. And, um, you know, I hired out most of the art. So I have a a team of international team of artists based all over the world that did work for the game and and, uh, a lot of other, um, you know, people that assisted but um that's kind of the the background story of everything right that's a wonderful wonderful thing you just you sat there on a perfectly well-paid reasonable job but it's not your thing you there the fire under your belly and you thought this is yeah. not what i want to do so other people your colleagues there, like yeah this is great but for you it's like <laughs> this is like pulling teeth <laughs> yeah. and I'm, is that fair yeah I think it's important to try and find something that you're passionate about. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to turn that into a career, then um, I, I think that's awesome. And I, I guess I, I have been lucky enough to do that. Mm. No, I mean, just it, picking up books on Unity and uh, I can definitely relate to this and like working on then also picking up book on C Sharp very quickly soon afterwards. Uh, so so you can work with the two um is is yeah and very powerful i mean i know a lot of people have made games on game maker one of my favorite stories is the fact that hotline miami was made entirely using game maker which still blows my mind yeah that's uh, great and it's definitely sort of uh, inspiring isn't it to actually go into that and uh so yeah, it's a great story. I mean, there are many. I've had many developers come and said, "Well, when I was six, oh right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I got this thing, and I started making it, and that's fine. That's fine as well." Uh, but uh, for you to actually you know, forge a career, go do university stuff, and then go, it's not for me, is it? And it happens. Sometimes yeah. it depends on very late in life, or you can early in life. Like I've been through all this, did all that studying, went, I don't like this. No, <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, that's quite a thing. So, okay, uh, next question um, is is difficult to answer, but you may be able to do it. Uh, like I said, the difficulty of the questions do ramp up as we go along, but uh, it's an important question, and it's one every creator, I believe, needs to be able to answer, which is why I ask it. So, as a creative person, there's a thing you, you create games as you more than one you've been, you've been working on this for a while so well eight years now uh what do you believe are your biggest influences the biggest influences would have to be life experiences and my favorite games that i have played in my life i mean mm-hmm. um those would be my biggest influences a, a lot of the forbidden arts is 
in like a lot of the characters from the game are inspired by are they're created based on people in my actual life. Um, you know, like friends, um, some uh, family members. I mean, a lot of the characters are named after them and personalities are inspired by them. And, uh, you know, I think that adding like a personal touch kind of really, really um, gives the game for me anyway, like with the Forbidden Arts, it gives the game a, a sense of personality and um, I can, it's just something that, that I can relate to and it's easier to write a like, you know, story and uh, character and stuff like that because I already have like, a connection to like what I'm trying to create. And as far as other inspirations go, the biggest ones would definitely be, and I'm sure you hear this all the time from other developers, but uh, would definitely be, you know, my other, my favorite games, uh, you know, from a mix of my childhood as well as games I've played in recent years. You know, some of my favorite games that are huge inspirations for the Forbidden Arts are um, uh, obviously the Legend of Zelda series, uh, but in more recent times, uh, The Witcher 3 is a huge inspiration. Uh, and I can't say that my game plays like The Witcher because it does not. Um, but I there were lots of elements from that that inspired me, um, even down to just how I designed the user interface. Um, so, you know that that was a big inspiration. And then a lot of a lot of uh, classic games from my childhood, like Super Mario World, uh, you know Donkey Kong Country, um, anything, pretty much Super Nintendo in general was a huge inspiration for me. So. Uh, a lot of retro, and and I think that's also goes in line with what I'm trying to do is take inspiration from retro games and modern games alike, and kind of fuse them into you know whatever experience I want to make. Yeah, I can definitely see some of that. Although speaking personally, because I'm European, so we didn't really glom onto the NES and the SNES and stuff. I'm sure you know this. So I had an Amiga. So most oh. of my yeah. So I um, I say had. I still. Do yeah, have one. Um, actually, I have two. Well, the other one's not really Amiga. Let's not go into that story again. Um, so let's not want to hear that one again. But point is, the the kind of games were on that was very broad. It was everything from like dungeon crawlers, like Dungeon Master and stuff, through to you know, um, Mega Drive ports of like Jungle Strike and stuff like that. Oh, sorry, Desert Strike. So, and you had some platformers like Turrican or Turrican Two, um, but it was very broad, very varied. So we didn't have the tight focus and really beautifully designed games that are on the um, the Mega Drive and the uh, the SNES or SNES, we pronounce it. Um, yeah. so, and I've only, only recently has discovered this to be the case. Mm. You know, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know that honestly. Yeah, it's very it's very different. So we have you know different histories. You know, it wasn't until the PlayStation when two the two uh, continents merged when it comes to to video games. Up until that point, we were very very desperate. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for example, uh, the uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. To this day, I can't listen to the NTSC version because it's too fast. <laughs> I prefer the slow jazz mix of the PAL version. Just, can we just calm down and just relax? Because everything's running 15% slower, including the music. So, yeah, when you've got a chance, go on YouTube and listen. Like, what is this? It's just a slow tempo, just, you know, mellow. <laughs> I don't want to play it now just to see. <laughs> yeah. So, but it, despite all that, or say because of that, because recently I've started playing these extraordinary platform games on, on the SNES, uh, and actually I do have one, not uh, emulated, it's actually on my, my Power SNES, and, uh, and also the, the, uh, the SNES Mini as well. Um, it's great stuff. I can see yeah. what I can see why people get so fired up about it because, like I said, I was playing weird Amiga games at the time. <laughs> I say weird, but just you know, different. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And by all means, I've actually streamed Turrican Two the other week on, and that was fun again on my Amiga, which I was, that was fun. Anyway, but no, I can, I can definitely see that um, coming through on on Forbidden Arts, which is why I enjoyed it so much. It's. Uh, definitely has that you know you definitely have that respect for you know, rewarding skill and patience that's what it yeah. does and that's really important what okay. um what platform were you playing it on uh pc okay cool so i played it 
using uh, my uh, Xbox One controller that's plugged into my PC. Nice. So and uh, it seems to be the optimum way to do it. Although I have played it a little bit using my Link box as well on my, in my in my uh, in my living room because I like doing that sometimes um, just to see how it works and how it looks and it's good. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Uh, yeah I I definitely think that that's how I prefer to play the game too is with the Xbox One controller on my PC. My favorite version of the game. It's just I like I like the uncapped frame rate, so I'm I'm one of those those guys that prefers to go up above and beyond sixty frames if possible. It makes a difference, doesn't it? People it don't does. see. That. I mean, the, it makes a huge difference. There wasn't there was an argument going. Oh, human eye can't see it. No, 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 we really can. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, absurd. You, you can you can feel it too. You can yeah. feel it. There's a uh, there's definitely a difference in. Uh, it, I wouldn't necessarily call it input lag, but because at 60 frames you're not really getting input lag, but um, but you can feel how much more precise and how on point everything is. Yeah, and also the Xbox One controller is infinitely better than the 361 because of that blasted D-pad. Oh, I agree. I loathe the D-pad on the Xbox 360. I mean, genuine passionate hatred for it. Um, <laughs> Uh, almost psychotic to the point, but they just got it so wrong. They got everything else right on that controller except for that thing, all because yeah. everyone else had patented the four separate buttons. It's absurd. Um, but you know, fair play to Sony and Nintendo. That's what they're going to do. Um, but uh, that anyway. Um, I, I mean, I've yet to. Uh, I've got, it'd be interesting because I understand it's coming out on the Switch, isn't it? So and uh, yes. yeah, yeah, that'd be a great platform for. It. It'd be fine. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, so next question. Uh, again, more difficult ones. <laughs> uh, although you, re- you blasted the last one off, so maybe it's not so difficult. What developer do you most admire in an industry and why? What developer currently do I most admire? Hmm. That is a good question. You caught me off guard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's think about that for a second here. Um <sighs> You know, uh, I'd love to give you some creative answer that really just blows your mind, but <laughs> um, what developer, do, you know, I I think that I like, there's a, there's a few, but yeah, if you're talking kind of, big developers. It doesn't have to be uh, one, and it doesn't have to be one person either. You can, you know, okay. let's, well, just, I, let's just play with it. It's fine. Sure. My top developer especially with games I'm looking forward to in the future would be CD project red. Okay. Uh, with, uh, they created the Witcher three and they're producing, uh, developing and, you know, um, cyberpunk 2077. And I'm really looking forward to playing that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Witcher three is one of my favorite RPGs that I've played in, uh, probably ever. I mean, since before that, it was probably Baldur's gate two. And, I mean, I absolutely love The Witcher Three, and I can't wait to see what they do next. I like, I, I, I feel I have a lot of other, a lot of respect for a lot of other developers too. Some, some close seconds would probably be like Devolver Digital. I, I like what they're doing. Um, I've always liked what they're doing. They, they try and take a more unique approach to how, like, the games they publish. They try and do things a little bit differently than um, a lot of. Uh, they, they go for games that are kind of quirky and sometimes like just just out there but I think they're 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 you know they they always have a consistent um, level of quality that that you know that they always uh, dish out so I think that's pretty cool um, and uh, but yeah I mean CD project reds at the top of my list I mean hands down like I absolutely love what they're doing yeah um, I have to say that I'm not gonna be that guy but I love the first Witcher, and I do like the other two as well. But playing uh-huh. the first one, and I would highly recommend if you can get time. Well, I'm a busy person, but I've played them all. Yeah, and uh, the first one, very strange game, to the point where like, wait, people yeah. are grey. There isn't. You're not the all conquering hero. Like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. It's it's very different, absolutely. But I I like each game. For what I mean, at first when I played the first Witcher, I was like, "What is this combat?" <laughs> I mean, yeah. I was like, 
I could not wrap my head around it. I was like, oh, God, what am I doing? Because like, I played it after The Witcher 3, actually. No, I went I, back and played the first two. Yeah. And I was like, what What am I playing right now? Yeah, I mean, this, yeah. is, this is not what I was expecting. But the more I sunk time into it, the more I started to like it. And it was, it was something that I think it's – it's not a very modern play style. So trying to go back and play that now is, 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 you know, it, it throws you off, but I still think it's a great game for, for what it is. It, uh, it definitely, you can see the kernels of the idea that eventually evolved into Witcher yeah. three. And that's why I encourage people to delve into the origin origins of the Witcher games, because they are something very special. And they were released at a time when the first, you know, single player action adventure or role, role playing games were not, you know, that favoured kind of, um, and uh, thankfully they re- they reappeared via Bioware, and and then, but unfortunately, you know, it's, it's all great. Uh, but uh, you know, the the, the old um, the, the dreadful phrase of you of uh, no one wants to play single player games anymore. Who's saying that? Oh, that's what you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think that I, you know, being a developer and working the hours I do, it's uh, I don't play games as much as I would like to. Um, you know, it's like you get into the industry because you want to, you know, you want to make games. But at the same time, you realize that, like, you're working a lot more than you used to. And then you're not playing as many games as you used to. And um, I still try and make time. But, you know, it, it's definitely limited on on how much I play. But I definitely play a mix between single player and, and multiplayer games. I mean, multiplayer is really just if I have a couple friends, like, Recently, I, I'll go on online, and I don't know if you've heard of the game uh, Mordow on uh, Steam. Um, it's kind of like a chivalry type game. Um, okay, it's it's a fun multiplayer game. I go on there, and you know, I'll, I'll go on for like thirty minutes, you know, and then it's a, it's a nice thing to just join with some friends real quick and play a few matches, and it's, it's a lot of fun. But uh, most of the time, if I sink time into a game these days, it's almost always a single player game. Which um, leads me on to my final question of the first half, um, mm-hmm. which is, what are you playing right now? Other than, of course. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, a, a few different games. I jump back and forth. Um, I always... Uh, depends on what platform, really. But um, on PC, I mean, I'm, I'm like I said, I play Mordow a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I play... Uh, let's see. I've recently, actually, I went and played um, on Xbox since I have a Game Pass membership. I've been playing a little bit of Ori and the Blind Forest. I never played that before. It's a beautiful and, but very difficult game. <laughs> yeah, I, I like it though. I was uh, the first, um, I'd say, like twenty minutes of the game really just like caught my attention, like captured me. You know, it's like emotionally they kind of get you right off the bat, and I, I like that. I think that uh, they did a really good job with how they opened the game up. Um, and then on, on switch, I'm playing a few different games, honestly on switch, mainly I, I just, uh, I play, I play most of like my like indie games on switch. Um, you know, it's like for like the bigger titles, like, like recently on switch, I've been playing uh, chasm a little bit. And then I've also been playing, um, well, I'm not all indie games. I've been playing, uh, you know, ultimate, uh, ultra street fighter too. So I'm a, I'm a big street fighter fan also. Oh, nice! I recently got myself an arcade stick. Uh, oh, really? For two reasons. It's called a Venom arcade stick. Bear with me. Uh, and uh, the insides were terrible. Of course they were. But, but it says, "Oh yeah, you can swap all these out." And lo and behold, you can pop it open. Nothing soldered. Nothing. There's no soldering at all. Like, oh, so I swapped everything out for Sanwa. Now it's brilliant. And <laughs> nice. but although. I did put an eight gate on the stick. I know, I know it's cheating, but I just find it easier to do an eight gate as opposed to a square on, on the joystick. You know. um, but I don't know you can judge all you like. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I do like my my beat em ups. I'm terrible at them. I'm not terrible. I'm adequate at them. Uh, I appreciate the the nuances and the idea that you know it's all about. Um, countering before actually delivering that move and then building up your power to a point where you can just pull something off provided op- the opponent re- reveals an opening um, that's that's a very sort of simplistic way of looking at um, beat-em-ups but that's what I get from them anyway um, I've always found Soul Calibur not that much celebrated game but I still like it 
and the latest one was really quite fun uh, maybe because my time with Dreamcast on it's probably why I still have an affection towards it but, Dreamcast uh, was awesome that was an underrated console yes yes it yep. was I, I still like, have it tossed up somewhere <laughs> yeah no I can see why now it's just about yes, Vinham, yes I've got it there so it's on a shelf looking at me uh, it's yellowing a bit though, but it is my original one, so it's twenty years old. So I best not say anything too harsh to all to it because it still works. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. Um, anyway, where were we? Yes, video games that you're playing, um, and you're right. Uh, the Switch is fantastic for indie titles, and I do uh, pay a, a fair few of them myself. And uh, it's definitely become a home of where the Vita used to be, used to serve. They now the ones migrated to the Switch. And Chasm, that's a good game. That's a very good game. Yeah, um, I think the game's a lot of fun. I got to the final world, and then now uh, the game is, like, extremely hard. <laughs> I managed, managed right. to blow through most of it pretty pretty easily, and actually I I, uh, I, I like it. I, I think that it's a, it's a fun Metroidvania. But, um, man, when I got to the last world, I was just like, oh, God, like, I'm not bad at games, but I just consistently die in that world, and I was just like, I'm, I'm definitely struggling to, to finish it up. Oh, well. No, I remember seeing it at PAX West a couple of years ago, and just like, oh, well, this is pretty. Yeah. And this is the kind of stuff I like, and uh, it was the lighting that struck me, and the animation. Yeah. Very yeah, good. Absolutely. So, let's move on, then, to okay. the second half of the show where we delve deep into the forbidden arts. Alright, sounds good. regular listeners will know it's a request so yes why we call it the zeroth question <laughs> please tell us what is the forbidden arts sure the forbidden arts is an action adventure platformer where you play as a pyromancer who sets off on a quest to discover and harness his abilities and learn more about himself and uh, a plot that unfolds and you end up taking part in uh, throughout the remainder of the game. It's a, uh, it's, it's really a, uh, and you know, I don't want to like say that it's one specific thing because it continues to evolve as you play through it. And I think that's what's kind of cool. But it's, it's, you know, it's a, uh, it's a gigantic quest where you're, you know, learning uh, how to harness and wield the uh, element of fire and, and uh, you know, cause havoc and kill enemies and have fun. <laughs> well, yeah, the last bit is definitely true. Um, and it just, some of the platforming aspects and the elements and the, the world struck me as like, wait, now I'm in an open world where I can run around freely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the little portals where you can walk in and then that takes you to a 2d platform experience or two and a half D as I call it. Yeah. Uh, platform experience and then you flip back into overworld and stuff um that really struck me as as, as uh quite innovative it's similar to, to a mario game in that you have an overworld 
yeah. but that's as far as it goes. There's more to it. I mean, that overworld in Mario is, doesn't really do anything. It just tells you, takes you to the next set of experiences. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Forbidden Arts, you haven't done that at all. You've said, oh, no, don't you do stuff here as well? Yeah, it's a big part of the game. Uh, the the game was, I designed it that way um, to, you know, rather than just, originally the game was going to use just another, you know, 2D map where you just, you know, like, like for instance, like think of like Mario 3 or something like that, where it's just you're on a, or like Shovel Knight, where you're just moving along a, a little map and, you know, you go from one level to the next. Originally I did, was going to do that and I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I was like, my game has the um, already utilizes 3D graphics, even though it's in a 2D plane. And I was like, I want to make like the overworld something interesting, something that players can actually, uh, you know, have fun in and and have it be a part of the game ra- rather than just something to traverse from level to level. Um, so there actually are NPCs in the overworld. There's quests. There's collectibles. And, uh, and yeah, it, it breaks up kind of, um, you know, the whole 2d platforming section. And then it goes into this, this 3d world where you actually, you know, explore it and collect things. And, uh, the more you play, the, the more you see and, uh, and, um, it's all about exploring though. I mean, that's a huge thing about the forbidden arts is if you're not really one to, explore um and you just want to charge through the game you can do that but you're going to miss out on a lot of what the game has to offer which leads me to my first design question mm-hmm. it's almost as if you're standing over my shoulder going oh yeah that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> the theme of discoveries anchored around the design of forbidden arts how do you believe this is impacted on its overall design the theme of discovery how it's impacted hmm. well um, the way, so I, I wanted to make the overworld not too large where it was, you know, you get, you can get lost in it, but, but large enough where you can still explore and, and, uh, you, I want, want everything to be able to be accomplished, um, relatively easy. I, I don't want you to struggle to figure things out on the overworld, you know, um, that's, that was important to me. So, um, you know, I, so I think that creating these like, um, you know, confined spaces where you're able to explore and and, you know, design everything like a lot of the environment was designed around like, where am I going to place these little chunks of gold? Like, you know, it's just like because the gold is collected throughout the game so you can unlock spirit towers, which when you rebuild these towers, you can go in and uh face a challenge where if you complete the challenge, you'll get increased health or, or fire pool. So, um, throughout the levels and the overworld, there's chunks of gold. And that's a big part of the exploration is finding the gold so that you can, you know, rebuild these towers and become stronger. And so a lot of, uh, the way I designed the, the levels or the overworld is, um, so that, uh, like the gold is placed in, you know, um, specific basically like specific ledges or specific areas that sometimes you have to use bits of platforming to get up to. And, uh, and I think that, um, that, uh, you know, the, the way that enemy or NPCs are placed, I mean, they're always placed, they're not hidden. They're, they're in pretty plain view sight, you know, but they'll send you off, um, like, you know, like you'll meet an NPC in the desert who will, send you off to go, you know, fetch a bottle of whiskey and bring it back to him. Um, and then he, then he sends you to another part of the overworld where you have to go speak to a giant dragon. And, um, I think that, um, you know, it, it was designed to traverse and, and be very easy, but at the same time, you know, to seek out all the little gold chunks, it, it makes it, you know, you have to explore a little more and it's, it was never meant to be super hard, but it was just meant to be, you know, interesting, interesting and, and fun. You know, that that was my goal was just interesting and fun. Yeah, it's a great anchor. I just found it fascinating because I'm a big explorer myself. OK. Um, one of the reasons I played well for so many years is because mm-hmm. um, I ended up raiding is because I just wanted to see what what developers had made. I'd love looking at worlds others have made. Um, whether it be 
in a film or reading a book or indeed playing a video game. It's one of the reasons I like high fantasy or indeed science fiction is just the list reading about worlds others have invented because uh, I find that quite exciting. Um, so yeah, yeah it's and you've definitely done that here. It's one thing that keeps on driving me. It's always you just discover more and more things, and that's the one thing that's the carrot that Forbidden Arts has is this carrot of stuff, more yeah. stuff to see, more people to talk to, more yep. creatures to experience and fight and not fight. Yep, that, that's that's right. Um, and just to touch on that, I uh, I think that that was. I think that's one of the things that really separates the Forbidden Arts from a lot of other games in the same genre is that you're not just traversing from level to level and then boss fight and then level and then boss fight and then game over. It's not like that. If you want to really take it, take the game for what it has to offer, there's a lot more that you can do. You can go on side quests to, you know, upgrade your your weapons and they actually involve doing some fun things, which I'm not going to spoil, but um it's definitely something that players shouldn't skip because they're worth it. And it's like, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you, you learn this crazy little goblin dance that has really nothing to do with the game, but it's funny. And it's just another level of exploration. I mean, there's all these weird quirky things in the game that, um, that I think really kind of separate it from a lot of the genre and, and what the genre does as a norm. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely breaks the mold. Or yeah. a better phrase. Next question, and this relates to what we're talking about exploration. But I do find there is an immense, I find, great deal of satisfaction when one completes successfully completes a journey through an area, whether it's uh, defeating a boss at the end or just generally exploring, completing, say completing, but you know, experiencing an area. How do you have you managed? Do you believe you've managed to? encourage this feeling in forbidden arts sure well i think that throughout the levels so the 2d levels as we're talking now um they are designed where as you progress through them pretty much every level has something to kind of break it up as you progress so like for instance like when you're in the mines you'll like about a quarter of the way through it uh, you'll get to, you know, you'll have to solve like a, a puzzle where you have to push some boulders around and um, and uh, unlock a gate. And then, you know, but it's like we don't repeat stuff. So it's like I think that one thing that's really um, satisfying is the fact that it's kind of a, a one and done kind of thing. Like when, when we introduce some unique little puzzle or mechanic or something, uh, we, we don't consistently repeat it where it gets boring or it gets, you know, overly repetitive. Um, so I think that, that that's something that's always fun and rewarding in a way is that you always have something new to look forward to and, and you don't know what it's going to be because it's, it's honestly, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of designed random, you know, it's just like, I didn't really, uh, I just was like, what can I do here? That would be, that would be interesting and keep, keep players interested in this, you know, like in, in this part of the level. And, and that's what my mindset was throughout a lot of it. Um, I think that that's something personally that that I enjoy about the game as well. Um, collecting all the gold is something that is fun too. I mean, it takes you on you know other paths outside of just staying on the main course. I mean, it, you can really explore all the levels and collect it all. And a lot of the gold is placed strategically where you have to use various platforming skills or you know um, sometimes. Uh, um, other uh, abilities to, you know, get to where you need to be to collect it. Um, and, uh, there is always a reward at the end of, uh, completing a level, whether that is going on and fighting a boss and, you know, learning a new ability. Um, you know, every time you, you defeat a boss, you, you learn a new ability of pyromancy and then you use those abilities in future levels. So I think that that's cool, too, because every time we introduce a new ability, you start using those abilities in every level thereafter. So um, it kind of uh, it's kind of like, oh, what do I get next? You know, like, like, well, you know what? And then it's like from my standpoint, it's like, okay, what can we do to utilize this ability and make like really cool areas of certain levels? You know, and that was my mindset, um, you know, when it came to uh, level design. Mm. It definitely does does show, um, you know. A little Zelda-like, maybe, or 
Metroidvania? I mean, I'm not. Metroid. Yeah. yeah. You know, honestly, like I said, I have so many inspirations. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Both of those games, um, you know, Zelda more so um, have played inspiration. But uh, I wouldn't say that I copied any formula. But, you know, definitely takes inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about the enemies you face now in some areas. Uh, Well, most areas, actually. there is environmental issues, environmental um, obstacles, of course, and puzzles, yeah. as you've alluded to. Um, yep. And the timing of them is just fascinating. I do the, uh, what I call, walk into danger, oh no, you're not. So when you have a flame sort of thing shooting across, you yep. move just as it's right in front of you. It's counterintuitive, mm-hmm. but that's what you do. Because by the time you got there, it's gone. And you've got that window of time just to move through. That's what I tell people, just move into danger. Well, you think you're going to walk into that, but you're not, because by the time you get there, it's gone. Exactly. you got to run into danger at many <laughs> points in this game. Yeah. So, however, speaking of danger, uh, enemies, I've found, although you have a lot of offensive capabilities in your knives and your daggers and your spells and what have you, you can also avoid them. Yeah, was you can. This in, was this intentional? Yes. Um, so there are not every enemy you can avoid as easily. It, it, in Let me put it this way. So um, the difficulty in the game ramps up the more you play. Uh, it starts off quite easy and it's it's designed that way on purpose um, because nobody I, he, my idea with this game anyway was I didn't want it to be, you know, an, an incredibly difficult game where you know, um, where it only appeals to a specific audience that really likes difficult games. Like that, that wasn't my intention. I wanted it to be a game that, that I would like. So, um, and I don't personally like really difficult games, not, not anymore. (laughs) Um, but, uh, with that said, I think that, that I wanted to make it accessible for everybody. So ease everybody, ease the player into everything over time. So, uh, learning, you know, every time you learn a new ability or, you know, that you fight an enemy, um, you can learn their strategy and, you know, often, and they start off really simple. But as you get later on in the game, everything becomes more complex from the from the basic enemies to the boss fights. Um, you know, there's some uh, I don't know how far in the game you've gotten, but, um, you know, for instance, like when you get to like the swamp. Um, and you start fighting these those little flying wizards. They can uh, you you can't avoid those guys as easily as as you could avoid enemies from you know like the the flying bixies from the hives or something like that. They're it's definitely uh, because they teleport and they keep shooting at you. You can't really get away from them unless you kill them. So I mean there are things later on where it does the difficulty increases and uh, the enemies get a little more difficult, um, as well as the bosses. The bosses get more intricate. Um, you know, so I, I think that that's, that's the thing is the, the game ramps up as you, as you play and, uh, and the last boss is, uh, well, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's going to be a challenge. Yeah. It's not up there with FTL, but then again, nor should it be, uh, sorry if you're not familiar with that game, but the last boss in FTL is horrific. Um, yeah. but, um, yeah, I know a very different game, but you get my point. And what I, you say it's more difficult, but. By the time you reach that level in the game or experience that game, you've, you've ploughed in some time, and you've, yeah. you've got the, the what I call the lexicon of or the narrative, the narrative structure of the game or the the structure of it. You understand what you can, and what you cannot do. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just like the best adventure games when you're towards the end of a point and click adventure game, you know what you can and can't do, and all of a sudden the puzzles that you know, four or five hours earlier would have been like, this is not possible. You've now got into the head of the developer by then. You've got into their like, oh, this is how you think. It's a bit weird, but we'll go with it. (laughs) And that's what I find with Forbidden Arts and Adventures. That's why I love playing adventure games. You know, you mentioned Baldur's Gate 2, one of my favourites. We all know that Minsk is one of the best characters ever made. Anyway, (laughs) that and his his hamster. Um, But um, it's... like I said, it's just that um, the, the the ability to um, avoid creatures if you don't have to. I definitely did that in the first sort of dungeon area because I was exploring, I was having fun. I said, oh, can I do that? I can, because these dudes firing poison are really annoying. I'm just going to avoid them. 
and uh, yeah. seems, seems yeah, you to... can avoid them. You can yeah. definitely avoid. Them. I, I think that for some players, um, we also, you know, have achievements and stuff like that. So killing a certain amount of every type of enemy will earn you an achievement. So um, in some cases, players won't want to avoid the enemies. But if if like some players don't care about the achievements or they find a certain type of enemy just difficult or annoying, then by all means, if you can skip it, go ahead. I mean, there's, you know, it's like sometimes you'll be caught off guard and maybe you won't be able to. But um, for, but yeah, I mean, we, we like to give, I guess, the option where um, it's not necessarily always necessary to kill every single enemy it's just like in a mario game you don't have to jump on every single koopa's head you might want to but you don't have to no in fact i um one of the things i love doing with adventure games like forbidden arts and and that kind of thing is the keep moving everyone just keep going just just keep fluidly because if you stop you've only stopped if you've probably got a puzzle that's weird or you know just just keep going if you can and that's one of my favourite parts of games like this. Is the it's one of the things that drew me to it when I saw the press release that come come through. It's like, well, this is fluid and nice. I like that, and that's <laughs> you know, sort of piqued my interest really, because that's that's that really that sense of again achievement reward of actually managing to duck and dive and it, it just keep going, just keep going. Like I said, you know, knowing that you know in order to avoid things, you just walk into the danger because it will be gone by the time it's there. It's, that's a real sort of anchor around which you built a lot of these levels. This is great, because it works. You know, if it, if it, if it works, if it's not broke, don't, don't fix it. It's great. Yep. Last question. I know, all good things must come to an end, but here we are. The underlying engine of Forbidden Arts um, mm-hmm. has RPG aspects within yeah. it. Um, as well as traditional platforming. I say traditional, but it has a platforming core to it. How have you managed to distill this into the game while developing the Forbidden Arts? Instilling the RPG mechanics? Yeah, how have you managed to make sure that it doesn't dilute what the core of the core experience? Have you what? not yeah, what have you done to make sure that while it's important and good to have, it doesn't <laughs> undermine the the core that is yeah. the Forbidden Arts? Well, it's it's basically a uh, an extra layer. I would describe it as um, it's it's not something that um, I mean you can you can get through a lot of the game without having to you know upgrade your daggers or go on these extra side quests. Like I said, I mean there are um, there is nothing stopping you from completing just charging through the game if that's what you want to do as a player, um, but again, I think that you'll be missing out on a lot of what the game offers by doing that. Um, because, uh, a lot of time has been put into, uh, making those, those extra layers, that extra layer, that RPG layer to it, um, fun. And I, you know, I think that, um, that by making it, by, by making it kind of just a, a, you know, a, a bonus layer on top of what the core is, I don't think it, takes away from anything if, if anything it just adds a little spice to those that that want that want that and it does deliver and i just wanted to talk about it because it took me by surprise like oh more yeah. things it's got <laughs> armor and, and you can pick up collectibles won't say what they are but things yes. and oh look you can get that and more things to get and more goals to achieve it's yeah. great yeah, if you're an explorer and you you enjoy exploration games, then there's a lot to be found in the Forbidden Arts. There is indeed, which what drew me to it. That and the fluid movement. Well done. <laughs> so, the Forbidden Arts uh, by Steambot Games is out now on Windows PC and Mac. Understand? Uh, yes, it's it's still in early access, but it the full version release is on uh, Wednesday, August seventh. Right. So by the time this show is out, which is in the future. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, it's on via Steam. You can get it, but also on Xbox One and Switch. I understand? Yes, and uh, PlayStation Four later quarter four is is our plan. Very good. Not far away then. No, <laughs> um, I have all of the things, but I am kind of, as you know, playing on the PC, so we'll leave it at that. Um, but um, 
Sterling, it's been fantastic having you on. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. It's, uh, it's been fun. Yeah, I, I hope you got a lot out of it. I know I did. Um, yeah. and, and you're more than welcome to come back to talk about what other game you've made since releasing Forbidden Arts. We've had return guests, my friend. Many, awesome. ret- many return guests. Considering the age of the show, we've had people go, oh, I've made another one. Oh, good. Well, <laughs> 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 come on. Uh, what's the bonuses? You don't get to ask the first few questions because we already know who you are <laughs> and we already know your history. So that's fine with me. <laughs> we, 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 we skip that. But uh, anyway, like I said, fantastic everyone, and uh, we do wish you the very best of luck in your future endeavours. So thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.